0: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. I want you to open up your Bible with me to Proverbs 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Also, if you've got... Uh, a physical Bible with you you can put a finger in Galatians chapter 5. So Ephesians sorry Proverbs 23 and Galatians chapter 5. There's a scripture in the book of Galatians where it describes what are known as the fruits of the Spirit. These are the evidences. These are the proofs that the Spirit of God is alive in your life. We all understand that we cannot judge one another's hearts. I cannot, uh, as a human being, look into the contents of your heart and your mind and determine your relationship with God. I can't do that. I don't have that power, even though sometimes I wish I did. What I can do tonight is I can, I can be a fruit inspector. I can observe the fruit of your life, what you are producing with your attitudes, with your, uh, what you spend money on, with the priorities, what you spend your time on. And so here in Galatians chapter 5, it gives us some of the fruit of what it is that a person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, what their life is going to look like. And here we go. Galatians 5.22. This is a great spiritual uh, thermometer to see how you are doing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And the final one, which I want to focus on tonight, self-control. These are the things that if you are a child of God and if the Holy Spirit lives in you, that we should see those things. Those are the fruits that should be evident in your life. So in other words, you cannot tell me, Pastor, I just love Jesus. I just love serving God. And at the same time, you're full of anger, hatred, bitterness, strife, contention, and you can't control yourself. Those things do not mix tonight. And so I want to focus in on the idea of self-control. Self-control, let's catch this as we go forward. Self-control is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are able... To control yourself okay everybody catch that that's important for this message tonight that means that anything in your life that removes the ability to control yourself is not holy it's not righteous and it should not be part of your life see God desires To give you control over your facilities and your faculties. God wants you to be able to control your thoughts. God wants you to be able to control your body. God wants you to be able to control the emotions of your heart. It's wonderful to feel emotions, but emotions can drive you, if you're not careful, to do stupid and foolish things. And so God wants us to be in control of ourselves. I'm repeating this because this is really important for what I'm about to say. And therefore, if you find a a substance or anything in this life that removes from you the ability to control yourself, you can deduce, you can understand that that is not holy. It is not from God. The devil is the one who wants to remove control from you. He wants to make you a slave. He wants to put control of you in his own hands. He wants you to be uh, disobedient to God by being obedient to him. So, with that thought in mind, I read an interesting story. I've heard it before, but I did not know that it came from a famous novel Written by a guy named Thomas Costain. And the book is called The Three Edwards. And in this book, there's a story of a, uh, a 14th-century duke named Reynold the Third. And this man, Reynold III, was grossly overweight. In the book, he had a nickname, and that nickname was Crassus. It's a Latin phrase which means fat. That was his name. And so there was a violent fight between this man, Reynold, and his younger brother, whose name was Edward. And Edward sought to seize the throne away from his fat older brother. And as they battled, this younger brother captured Cassus Reynold, but he didn't kill him. Instead, what he did as an act of mercy, is he had a room built in his castle. It was a room that was built around Fat Reynold, and he promised him, when you get out of this room, I will restore your title and your property. I will restore what I have taken from you as soon as you can leave from this room. For most people, this would not have been difficult. The room had windows and doors of normal size. None of them were locked or closed or barred in any way. The problem was, Reynold was too big to fit through. In order to regain his freedom, he needed to control himself. And so little brother Edward knew him so well that every day he had people delivered to him large amounts of wonderful food and in the middle of that room was a was a dining table there was comfortable place to sit and unfortunately the man stayed there the rest of his life because he could not control himself somebody accused him of being cruel the, the younger brother he said my brother is not a prisoner He may leave if he wills. And Reynolds stayed there until his health killed him, a prisoner of his own appetite. Tonight, I believe that there are people in that same situation. That maybe your sin is not gluttony, but whatever your sin is keeps you in bondage. God has opened the doors for us. God has given us abundant ability to walk free by the blood of Jesus. And yet there are so many of God's people who remain bound, not because God hasn't set them free, but like the children of Israel wandering in the desert, that they refuse to go in. They're afraid, they're fearful, and ultimately they are disobedient. I want to speak tonight about an issue that causes so many people to lose control of their lives. This is a message I've titled, Losing Control. And from Proverbs chapter 23, I want to read this famous scripture, beginning with verse 20. Do not carouse with drunkards, or feast with gluttons. For they are on their way to poverty. Too much sleep clothes them in rags, Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth and never sell it. Also, get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. Every parent can say amen. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. Verse 29, who has anguish, who has sorrow, who is always fighting, who is always complaining, who has unnecessary bruises, who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns, trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup and how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast, losing control. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus tonight. I'm praying for your grace and your mercy to fill this service tonight. Give me words to speak, Lord, That would inspire, God, that would convict, God, that would rebuke and exhort, but also to encourage and equip for the future. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, which washes us clean and gives us agency, gives us control, gives us the fruit of the Spirit tonight. We give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. amen. Pastor, are you preaching about alcohol tonight? Yes, I am. Now, I am not preaching about alcohol because I think that the church is full of drunkards. I don't think that. And, uh, but the reason I'm preaching this tonight is because there is a great temptation in our world today. There is a large a portion of the church of Jesus Christ who sees no problem with the sipping saint, who sees no problem with, uh, with uh, you know, going to church on Sunday morning, and getting wasted on Sunday afternoon. After all, Jesus did turn water into wine, correct? And so tonight I want to, I want to preach about the losing of control. There are, according to my, uh, to my scholarly studies, there are at least 627 scriptures in the Bible having to do with wine or strong drink. Let me say that number to you again. 627. That is more verses than deal with adultery. That is more verses than deal with theft or stealing or murder. There are more verses in the Bible about wine, strong drink and staying away from them. 627. Now out of that number, there are really only Three of those scriptures that possibly could be interpreted to say that alcoholic beverages aren't such a bad thing. We're going to talk about a couple of those. But I just want you to get that ratio. How many scriptures does the world know about alcohol? <laughs> Probably three. How many of them are quoted to you? Jesus turned the water into wine. And Paul said, a little, a little wine for the stomach's sake right? That's two out of the three. And yet those scriptures can be quoted by every drunk down at the bar. They don't understand 624 are warnings, woe, and judgment that will befall those who find themselves drunk and sipping alcohol. Tonight, I want to share with you why I believe Christians should not be indulging in alcoholic beverages. There's a few issues that we want to deal with first of all tonight. So, what about this wedding at Cana? Is this a blanket excuse for the church the last 2,000 years That we can can buy the beer, we can buy the alcohol. Uh, Pastor, I know the Bible says all things in moderation, right? That uh, it's okay to drink a little bit as long as you don't get drunk. Let's examine this story for just a moment so that we can encounter what Jesus actually did. John 2, verse 7, Jesus said to them, this is the wedding at Cana, his first public miracle. He said, fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. He said to them, "'Draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast.' And they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, "'Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior wine. You have kept the good wine until now.' And this, verse 11, beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, if you're going to understand this, you have to dive in to the understanding of the time. So many people would read that scripture and say, There it is. I have my proof. Jesus made wine and gave it to a whole wedding. That's all I need. Pass the bottle. But when you begin to examine the times in which Jesus lived, you have to understand the word that is translated into wine is the Greek word oinos, which is a general, it is a blanket term that can mean many things. It could mean the fermented wine that makes people drunk. It could also mean the fresh, unfermented product of the grapes as they were being stomped out. In addition to that, they can use the same word for a boiled down version of that juice, that fresh juice. When you boil it down, it becomes a compote or a very rich, uh, almost like a jelly or a jam. That same word, wine, could describe all three of those products. How many know there's a vast difference between them? So when Jesus made the wine, did he make the stuff that makes people drunk? Did he make the stuff that is fresh from the vine? Or did he make the stuff that is the pulpy, thick, almost the jelly-like grape pulp that was so sweet like candy in their mouths? Don't take it from me. Take it from Albert Barnes, who is a well-known New Testament scholar and he says, don't be deceived by this phrase, good wine, in John 2, verse 10. He says, we use that phrase to denote that it is good in its proportion to its strength and its power to intoxicate. But that is not the intention of the text. In the Roman world of the New Testament times, those best wines, the good oinos, were those with alcoholic potency that had been removed. When they said that Jesus gave the best wine, it was the kind that did not contain the alcohol. Pliny, for example, speaks about this, Who a famous ancient historian. He said these words, wines are most beneficial when their potency has been removed by the strainer. Did you hear that? They said the good wine is the stuff that is non-alcoholic. Plutarch, another famous Greek historian, points out, much more pleasant to drink when it neither inflames the brain nor infests the mind or passions. These guys were saying, making the case, that the, the, the nasty wine, the stuff that, uh, that lasts forever because it's been fermented, that stuff, we wish we couldn't drink that. We want to have the good stuff where the alcoholic beverage part of it has been removed. Another scholar, Henry Morris, said that the wine that Christ made was of high quality, not because of its alcoholic content, but because it was new wine. It was freshly created. It was not old and decayed as it would have to be, to be intoxicating. In other words, there was no time for the fermentation process to break down the structure of its energy-giving structures, sugars rather, into disintegrative alcohols. It was thus a fitting representation of his glory and an appropriate way to say serve as the very first of his great miracles. I want you to think about this. Which is a greater miracle? For Jesus to produce the same stuff that they had already been drinking? Or for Jesus to produce wine that when they tasted it, wait a second, did they just stomp this out back? That's why it was a miracle, because it tasted so fresh, like it was just off the vine. of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. By the way, the reason why this uh, alcoholic beverage uh, is, is not as good as the good wine is because in the ancient world, they didn't have fresh water like we have. The only way you could find fresh water was if it was bubbling up from the ground someplace and it was clean enough to drink. You couldn't keep water in pots. Why? Because water will get bacteria. It'll get infested. It'll make you sick. And so what they would do is they would make a little bit of fermented wine. They would mix it in with large amounts of water so it would break down the bacteria and it would be safe to drink. That was the typical everyday drink that people would have with their meals. Because number one, it was cheap. Number two, it was safe to drink. Okay? So that was, not, that was the water that they used for average everyday drinking because they knew it wouldn't make them sick. When Jesus turned the water into wine, I refused to believe that he was acting as a bartender that day. I refused to believe that. Let me tell you why. Number one, there would no doubt in that crowd that day be pregnant women. We know today the scientific reasons why if a woman who has a child in the womb drinks alcohol, that, that, uh, that according to scientific studies say that increases the risk for spontaneous abortion and the risk for fetal alcohol syndrome by Tenfold, even by just having a sip. It's possible for uh, increased uh, chances of preterm labor, birth defects, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. It changes the way a baby looks, learns, and thinks. Drinking uh, alcohol while a child is in the womb increases chances of giving birth to a child with all of these disorders. Are you mean to tell me that Jesus is going to uh, sanction and He is going to be okay with pregnant women uh, causing fetal issues to their babies. Another reason I've refused to believe that Jesus was a bartender that day is because there would be children at the wedding. Children who would have, at that moment, would have got their first taste of alcoholic beverage. Guess what? It always starts with one. And that one, if a child would drink that, they get a taste, they get a flavor. And is it possible that Jesus would have been creating future drunkards and alcoholics? I refuse to believe that too. If Jesus served alcohol to the crowd that day, then he would have had to be rebuked by Father Abraham. Can you see Father Abraham standing up in heaven saying, uh, tapping on the shoulder of Jesus, saying, excuse me, uh, beloved son, uh, excuse me, don't you remember what happened to me when I drank wine? He drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Genesis 9, 21. He would have had to be rebuked by his servant Solomon. When Solomon said, Proverbs 31, verse 4, That wine is not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine. It is not for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice. Jesus couldn't be a king. He would have to be rebuked by the wisest man besides himself. He would have to be rebuked by Moses as well. Can you see the line in heaven? Standing in line waiting to rebuke Jesus for this so-called miracle of creating intoxicating drink. Moses said, Leviticus 10.9, do not drink wine or intoxicating. It didn't say, don't get drunk. He said, don't even drink it. Don't drink wine or intoxicating drink. You, your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It it will be a statute forever throughout your generations. This is instructions to the Levites for their their priestly duties. He says, if you're going to be a priest, you cannot touch this stuff. Jesus could not serve neither as king nor as priest if he would have served alcohol that day. If Jesus was a bartender at Cana that day, he would have to be rebuked also by Ezekiel. In verse uh, Ezekiel forty four twenty one. 21, no priest shall drink wine when he enters the court. He would have to be also rebuked by his cousin, John the Baptist. That when he grew up his whole life without strong drink, Luke 1.15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And what is the sign of this greatness? He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll, We'll get to that in a minute. By the way, Jesus would also have to be rebuked by himself because as he hung on the cross, there was the... The moment as he's dying and his life is slipping out of his body that the soldiers gathered around him realized the intense pain that he was in and they desired to ease his suffering a little bit. So they took a sponge and they put the nastiest kind of wine, a type of vinegar, but alcoholic in content. And they offered it to him at the end of the spear. But what happened to Jesus that day? He says, no, not even now. I'm not even going to touch it. I'm going to take the full penalty of sin. I'm not going to cut any corners by weakening it. I'm not going to remove the control of my faculties. Even in this most painful moment, Mark 15, 23, they gave him wine, mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. I lost the amens a little while ago, Dave. What happened? I, again, I am not accusing anybody here. I'm not, that's not my aim. If the Holy Spirit deals with you, then get mad at God, not me. My point and my purpose tonight is to remind you that there are good reasons for Christians to avoid this nastiness altogether. See, the real issue of alcohol, and it's not only alcohol tonight, the real issue is the loss of control. How many understand tonight that God calls his people to a life of sobriety? That's a lot different than what we've talked about so far. Consider these scriptures, First Thessalonians 5, verse 6 and 8. Therefore, let us not sleep as other do others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Temperate, sober-minded. What does that mean? He's in control of his mind. He's not given to wine. Titus 1, verse 8, hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just and holy, self control. Titus 2, verse 2. Older men. Oh, pastor, I'm just a little bit older. You know, uh, I don't have as many responsibilities anymore. I can handle just a few sips here or there. Titus 2, verse 2. Older men should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Also, exhort the young men. Oh, pastor, I'm young. It's time for parties. It's time to live life a little. Exhort young men. Also, to be sober-minded. It's good for the youth. It's good for the old man. And everybody else in between. 1 Peter 1.13 Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you, the revelation of Christ. Finally, 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Let me ask you, when are you at greater risk of being destroyed by your adversary? When you've had a six-pack or when you have a clear and sober mind? I think the devil, he watches people. He watches the saints of God. He studies you. He tempts you. And many times when we, when we do things that remove the control of our minds, he, that is his opportune moment. I could talk about other things tonight besides alcohol. I could talk about weed, marijuana, which is being legalized across our nation now. It's the same thing. Pastor, just helps me relax a little bit, man. Take it easy, bro. Let's go to Taco Bell. What is that? It's the removal of control. I don't want to think about things. I want to chill and watch Netflix. But it's not just those kinds of substances, it could also be prescription medicines. People who get get a prescription from their doctor, isn't it amazing how they over prescribe things? Isn't it amazing? Doc, I got a little toothache, right? You go to the dentist, they do a procedure right? And here's two weeks of oxycodone to make you feel better. What? Now, just give me one, man. Just get me through tomorrow and I'll be okay. But the doctor, you know why they do that, by the way? Because every prescription they write, they get a kickback from the drug company. They're making money off of addicting good and godly people in churches. And you could be sitting in church on Sunday morning, you didn't crack open a beer bottle, you didn't uh, didn't take a toke off of your off of your uh, bong, but you could be taking pills that do exactly the same thing. Removing control and sobriety from your life, God forbid. You know what the opiate of the masses is? Entertainment. There are those in the house of God Maybe you're not drinking alcoholic beverage or smoking weed or popping pills, but for you, YouTube is exactly the same thing. Or TikTok. You know, that that format of the 15-second video or less, there is something especially addictive about that. And it's not just on TikTok these days. It's, It's invaded every other social media platform. It's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's on Twitter. The 15 second viral video has the ability, and if you're not careful, you can find yourself sitting there an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, let me send that one. (laughs) What is that? It's the removal of control. All of a sudden, You're sitting there for an hour, and you've lost that time, and it's never coming back. I better move quickly tonight. What God wants from us tonight, what God wants from you, He wants you to be in control of your mind, of your heart, of your thoughts. See the problem with entertainment is you turn on the television and you are giving your mind to whatever is coming through that screen for the next however long you're watching that you can't you can't do anything else you know that that's actually the difference between media that you watch with your eyes and media that you listen to with your ears when you when your auditory system is involved uh, you're listening to maybe an audiobook or you're, you're listening to podcasts that cause you to think. That's what I do a lot. And the auditory system, your brain is still active. People who study brains and brainwaves have proven this to be true. There's a section of your brain that, that continues to filter out things that you don't agree with. You say, I oh, no, that's not right. I'm thinking through these things. But when you're looking at a screen, that part of your brain completely shuts off. And you become like an open door to whatever comes across that screen. Just go straight in there, man. And you begin to receive things. That if God would see what you are watching, if Jesus, the Son of God, would see, isn't it amazing if you watch... Television and and, uh, uh, cultural programming today. Isn't it amazing how many homosexual people there are in the world? Isn't it amazing how many transgender people there are if you just judge what's on the screen? Isn't it amazing? You know how many people are sleeping with each other just by watching what's on the screen? You think it happens every single day, but that's what's on the screen. It's a form of cultural programming telling you you need to you need to take control of your mind how do we do that well let's go back to where we started the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control What I can say to you tonight is that those people who find themselves caught losing control, whether by alcoholic beverage, by drugs or prescription medicines, by entertainment or short-form video like TikTok, every one of those, I can guarantee you, you're not filled with the Spirit at that moment, not the Spirit of God. There's a reason why that alcoholic beverages are also known as spirits. You ever seen that? Maybe at, a, at, a, at the ABCs. Isn't it amazing that when the pandemic happened, everything shut down, the liquor store stayed open. The ABC down the street, they never closed their doors. Those are also spirits. They're not holy spirits, that's for sure. There's a reason why they're called spirits. Because when you are filled with those spirits, there's no room left for the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Can't get any more direct than this. Do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation. What does that mean? It means it's a waste of time. Instead, be filled with wine with the Spirit in my Bible that's a capital S do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit can I tell you something tonight God's people and especially those of the Pentecostal persuasion we've got something way better than wine than Bud Light uh, some people say it's Bud Weiser. I call it Bud Dumber <laughs> there is something so much better than, than the ganja. There is something so much better than the pill that you are popping. We have the Holy Spirit which doesn't leave you high and dry or with a hangover in the morning. It doesn't leave you in a foreign couch that you don't know where you are in the morning. It doesn't doesn't lead you to the back seat of somebody else's car. It doesn't lead you to places you don't want to go. Oh, the Holy Spirit, when He fills your life, He fills you with joy and purpose and peace and understanding and revelation of God. Acts 2, verse 15, isn't this amazing? That when the Holy Spirit arrived to the church for the first time and He began to fill each of them as they were there in the prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit, like tongues of flames of fire, came and rested on them. They began speaking with new tongues and the people who were gathered there looking at this they said those people are crazy how can they be getting drunk it's only nine in the morning that's what they assumed because the people were so happy they were so filled with joy they were so exuberant about their worship and their life with God that they said the only thing that can make people that happy it's got to be it's got to be drink but Peter stood up that day and this is what he said these are not drunk as you suppose it's only the third hour of the day that's 9 a.m. but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. Prophesy. I want to tell you, I don't believe Jesus is a bartender. But I do believe Jesus will send the comforter to you. I do believe he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. I want to give you one last reason why as a believer you should stay away from the strong drink as the Bible so clearly shows us and that is what Paul argued. He said I can eat meat that's been offered to idols. It's not a big deal. right? We know. Idols are just they're, they're, just, they're statues. It doesn't mean anything. But he made a case. He said if I am with another brother in the Lord who is maybe is weaker in the faith. And if by me eating that meat that's been sacrificed, if he sees me doing that, causing him to stumble, causing him to have an issue of faith, causing him to fall away from the Lord, he says, I'll never eat meat. I'll never even touch it. It's permissible for me. I don't have a problem. Not going to send me to hell, but him! My friend, my brother, one who's... Saved from their sin. I don't want to be the stumbling block for somebody else. That's why the sipping pastor ought to be rebuked. Because there are are young believers. (laughs) Praise the Lord. There are going to be young people who are watching those who are older in the faith? Those who have more experience. And mom, dad, if you've got kids in your house, do you want to set a precedent for them? That a few drinks here and there is okay? Do you want to set that precedent? If they lived, listen, you'll you'll pass on the way that you walk, not the way you talk you can you can you can say listen to that preacher you can say listen listen that sermon but you know what they're really gonna learn what you live how you act and so tonight I want to encourage every person here be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to lose control of your mind let's bow our heads tonight close our eyes for just a moment